Welcome to the Impact Podcast with your hosts, Jacinta and Kobe. We'll be diving into all things holistic health and our perspective of what people really need to live a sustainable, healthy lifestyle. We have a super special guest with us today. Her name is Renee Michelle, and we are so excited for her to be here with us sharing her journey. Renee is a mother. She's a transformation trauma coach, a child abuse prevention advocate, a speaker, an author, and a consultant. And we cannot wait for you to hear what she has to share with us. So let's dive in. So lovely to have you here, Renee. How are you? I'm so excited. (laughs) We are excited too. So like, excited. My coffee's like, it's really, hit. I've hit it, <laughs> hit my peak. <laughs> Here we are. Awesome. So, Renee, just share like a little bit about yourself. You know, let our listeners know who you are, where you're at right now, and what you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yay. Let's do this. Yeah. So, right now, I am an online trauma recovery coach for high performing professional women. Now, these professional women have overcome extraordinary things, primarily childhood trauma and sexual abuse. So having the beauty of technology, as we do today, I do all of my coaching online. So I'm often coaching women from America, Canada. I have a lady in Brazil. I've had a lady in Spain. I've had a lady in Portugal. Um, And random ladies in Australia. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) Which has been great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's always good to see the Aussies come in. And I have... uh, Groups on Facebook where women gather, it's a safe space, and I just empower women with really practical tools on the fact that just because we go through trauma and and we've been through things that, you know, even today have a lot of stigma around them, that it's actually a, a real sign of strength to put your hand up and say, I need help, and this is what's happened to me, because I always let the women know, and men, anyone who's survived any type of trauma, that... The trauma does not define us, nor does it limit us. And in my case, it actually empowered me to go on and be stronger and be better and give back. So I, when I wrote my book, I called it Battle Scars Are Beautiful because once you learn to embrace those challenges and transform it into fuel, Mm. it can catapult you out of wherever you are and into where you want to be. So coaching is my um, my main bread and butter and what I really love to do, both yeah, awesome. individual and group coaching, uh, running community programs, and I also consult with law enforcement. So That's I cool. have been asked to pop down to QPS at the recruiting centre down at Oxley, and I got to record my story for over three hours. And they're using that as part of a course that they roll out four times a year to specialist investigators to help them understand how to support adult reporters mm. and why we wait, why we don't come forward. Yeah, mm-hmm. That was exciting because I was like, these guys front line of defence yeah. and they want to be better. They want to do better. Mm. So I consult as well and then I speak at different events around child protection, how to, how to stop our children being groomed, things that we can look out for as parents and caregivers and just giving voice to other survivors to let them know, you know what, it's time we stand together and the louder we are, yeah. the more we become empowered to protect our children and one another. The power is in sharing the story. Yes. And that's, yeah, what we love doing is hearing people sharing their stories, sharing our experiences because it creates that vulnerability in others and like feeling like they're safe 
to share theirs. Like if hearing another person share their story, then I'm like, wow, okay, maybe it is okay for me to feel safe within myself yeah, definitely. to share. Yeah. Um, so that's really, really cool. Yeah. So you're obviously helping a lot of people now go through that journey after post-trauma in their lives. Mm-hmm. Can you take us back to what actually got you on this journey yourself? You know, it's mm. like, um, yeah, just take us back and, and let us know where it started with you. Yeah, sure. So my childhood was very normal. I grew up in a very small country, New South Wales town. Um, had a mother and a father and siblings. And it was, when I say small town, it was small. I mean, I rode my horse to school. You rode Whoa. your horse to school. What's this Give small town? It. it was small. It's called Nuttall near Tamworth. Yeah, tiny oh, little wow. gold panning town. Yeah. And I loved it. I was happy. Played outside every day. Life was easy. Life yeah. was fun. And everything radically changed when my parents separated. My mother became an alcoholic. She did not cope emotionally. My sisters were a lot older than me, so they started to leave home. So it was just my mum and I. And she would bring men home. So she would go out on a weekend, get very drunk, bring those men home. Monday she would go to work. Those men would still be in the house. Mm. And those men started to abuse me, first physically and then sexually. And... Being in that small town, we knew everyone. Everybody knew everyone. And some of these men that were highly respected and thought of by my family and friends were the people hurting me. So I didn't speak. I kept it to myself. My mother, I could tell even at that age, couldn't cope emotionally with something as big as that. And I didn't want to be the person to ruin her happiness. She looked happy when she was with these men. Mm -hmm. Um, So who was I to rock the boat? And with not having my father there and my sisters not being there, I just suffered in silence. And that continued all the way through to age 16. And to try to cope with that through that those young years, especially in high school, I was bullied because I was this very outgoing child. Then all of a sudden became introverted, shy, mm. painfully shy. I was hypervigilant because of the trauma. So if there was a loud a loud noise in the classroom or a male teacher came in, I would actually lose control of my bowels and I would be constantly going to the bathroom. And for a 12 or 13-year-old girl to be rushing off to the bathroom, I was self-harming. So in summer, I was wearing long jumpers and nobody ever asked, hang on, what's going on with Renee? Why has she gone from this bubbly, outgoing kid with a smile on her face to now just looking at the ground? And there was a lot of opportunities for people to sort of say, hey, are you okay? Mm. Nobody ever did. So the self-harming, then the drug, uh, the drug started, then the drinking started, then just hanging out with the wrong crowd. Everything just went downhill. Life mm. just completely spiralled out of control. I had no coping mechanisms. I had nobody to talk to. Mm. So that's when shame set in. So I felt ashamed. I felt dirty. I felt disgusting. I had no self-worth, no understanding of who I was. And I just got lost in the world, lost in the system. Your coping mechanisms were suffering in silence, hiding that pain. Avoidance. Yeah, with, you know, all the external stuff, obviously, like drugs and alcohol, as you say, that was how you managed to to not deal with it. Exactly. Because when you go through trauma, you're you're just in pure survival mode. Mm. So my survival mode was, ooh, this hurts. So it could have been in a, being in a bad relationship and being spoken to badly. All this hurts. This is uncomfortable. I don't like how it makes me feel. Where's the alcohol? Yeah. Where's the drugs? Because you want to numb that pain. You just don't want to feel it. That's it. So I just ran away from it. And I thought that was normal. 
My mum was still bringing men home, still in multiple relationships, and I thought that's what a relationship was. So I didn't ever think I had a voice to say, no, don't hit me. No, don't hurt me. I would just go mute and disassociate, which we know is a very common trauma response yeah. as well. Mm. And I would just disappear into my own body. What, um, what thought process were you going through? Obviously, from the age of 10, this started. Like, did you start sort of making excuses for the people that were doing that for you? And was the blame going on? them or were you taking the blame personally yourself? I took the blame on because I was like, why does this keep happening to me? And it, and as a child, you know that what's happening to you, you can't make sense of it mm. because I didn't understand sex at 10. But I knew it was – the way that I talk about it is this is for grown-ups. This is what grown-ups do. Therefore, that's when the disassociation started to happen because I would say, oh, just, just pretend to be asleep and they'll realise and they'll go away. So when they didn't, and they'd leave the room, I would then go, well, you must have done something. Or why didn't you fight? Why didn't you scream? Why didn't you run? Yeah. Because I froze, which, again, natural trauma response for many people, I blamed myself. Yeah. There was that you, deflection, like you couldn't put it back onto yeah. them. A child cannot process something as illogical as mm. sexual abuse. Yeah. 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 Well, especially when it's not something that if – they've had any, had any similar experience or can relate it to a particular emotion prior to that. Yeah. It's a whole new experience. Yeah, you've got that, nothing yeah. to compare it to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that went on for multiple years. When did you start to feel like after around 16? What changed then, you know? Mm. Was there a particular catalyst that happened in your life that made you go, okay, like I need – there's clearly something going on mm -hmm. that's not allowing me to move forward with my life. Did things just get worse from there or did something upend you to then make a positive mm -hmm. change? Things got a lot worse mm. <laughs> for another decade. So I attempted suicide three times. I actually attempted suicide when I was 10. Wow. That was my first attempt. Again at 17 and again at 19. Hospitalised each time. And it was at 19 when I woke up that third time, I actually had to spend a week. I damaged my liver so badly um, that that really sort of woke me up. And I moved home because I was like, oh, I don't know how to do this thing called life. But if I have to do it, I felt like a failure again because yeah. mm. I'd even failed at that. I yeah. mean, how insane is that? So I moved home to mum, even though that was not a great relationship between her and I. She hadn't, she she completely stopped drinking. She was married by that stage. I knew at least it would be a safe harbour, so to speak. Yeah. So I went home because I was homeless. I had nowhere else to go. I was living with drug addicts and I thought, I just need to get out of this. And this is what happens when you don't deal with the root cause. I would take 10 steps forward, 40 back. Mm -hmm. So I moved home. What happened? Fell straight into the drug addict crowd down there. Yeah because of that lack of self-worth, mm. um, like attracts like. Exactly. So I was still so damaged. I was in my brain, I was like, yes, I'm going to, so I went to college. I was like, yay, I'll get a, I'll get a qualification while taking drugs. Yep. Yep. So nothing ever worked. I would try or what I thought in that state was this will better my life. But it didn't. I always fell back down. Because you're repeating the same that's cycle. We, exactly. You know? yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we talk about. It's like... You, you mentioned the words before, why does this keep happening to mm. me? And you hear it so often, and we touched on this earlier, it's, it continues to happen to you until you do deal with that root mm -hmm, cause. But mm -hmm. it'll just 
be presented to you in a different experience, exactly. you know, in a different season of your life. Mm. And then that's when you're like, fuck, all right, maybe yep. I really do need, <laughs> something needs to change. Yeah, that's you know? right. And, and for me, it wasn't until I was 26 years old and had my daughter, Cassidy. Mm. Uh, she wasn't planned. I was actually on birth control. I mean, who would bring a child into this crazy life that I had at the time? And that really woke me up. Um, all of a sudden, I became this fierce protector of this human that I've never met. But I was like, well, you haven't chosen to come into this world and I will not let you go through what I went through. I became so fiercely protective instant, instantly, yeah. as soon as she was conceived. And I was in a very unhealthy relationship, so I was really scared the whole time. I was pregnant with her, got no support, had to do that all on my own. And then when she was born, I can I talk about it all the time, I physically looked down at her in the hospital room and promised, made a vow to her, your life will not be like mine. You will know nothing of this. And she's 19 years old now. Um, and she's had an amazing life, but she saved me. Mm. She really gave me fuel oh, that I didn't know was there. It's like this switch went off in my brain and I would have walked over hot coals for this kid. And I became this super capable person. All of a sudden, it's, it's really bizarre. And I knew then and there that I had to do something radically different. Yeah. Um, and the change came when I literally <laughs> opened the phone book found a local church because I've tried everything else. I've tried every drug. I've tried every man. Yeah. I've tried every outside external force to make this work. Nothing's happened. I'm like, fuck, what have I got to lose, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Off I go with a child on my hip and sat there for two hours, tears streaming down my face because, lo and behold, the day that I went, there were survivors on the platform sharing their story. Oh, yeah. Pastors saying I was sexually abused as a child, I am now doing A, B, C, and D. I'm happy they had children. And I just remember the tears going and confusion going, hang on, you don't talk about this. This is disgusting. What are you doing? And when they finished, the whole room, and there was the biggest church in Australia, there's probably about 3,000 people there that day. Everyone stood up, tears in their eyes, and applauded. And I can just remember looking around going, maybe I've got this all wrong. Mm. Maybe it's not my fault. Mm. And somebody saw me crying came and sat with me, complete stranger. When everybody got up to leave, they just looked at me. They didn't touch me. They just sat there and they said, how can we help you? What do you need? And that I just broke because I yeah. was like, I'm 26 years old. No one has ever asked me that question and you are a complete stranger. Yeah. My heart is beating so quick just listening to this. Um, you went through a stage where I imagine you were just numb to any sensation like things that were happening to you you just your only mechanism was just numbness so as soon as your daughter was born at the age of 26 that would have had a complete like a switch going off to okay now i feel something mm. i want to talk a little bit about the identity that you've had pr previous to your daughter being born mm -hmm. and and how that identity changed obviously when she was born mm. All of a sudden, I'm, I, me, Renee, meant something. All of a sudden, I had something to offer. Yeah. Because I've grown up my whole life being told, because many of this, these men when I was 10 and 11, because like I said, my mum would go to work and I'd be left alone. And they would laugh at me, torment me, hit me, tell me I was stupid, unwanted, disgusting, unlovable, I'd amount to nothing, um, ugly, bitch, like the names. They were, and I'm like, what is – I look back now and I think far out. 
And all of a sudden, I was someone valuable that could give life to another precious person. And yeah. not only that, make it fucking awesome because yeah. that was my declaration. Yeah. And I was fired up. The only emotion I'd known before that was anger. I was a very angry person. And rather than take it out on anyone else, I took it out on myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I knew a lot of rage. She brought so much just love and peace and joy, even though I couldn't articulate that that's what it was at the time. And it all came on very quickly like a flood. Yeah. And that was your catalyst right that, there. Yep, that, was, that yep. was the turning point for everything. Yeah. I love that, those big sort of, like I said before, upending moments in mm. your life where it's like, all right, this is this is it. It's either like, do I continue down this path or do I take what I've been given from God's hands, the universe's hands, whatever yep. you want to call it, and then make that decision to move forward from mm. there. And I can total, totally relate with like experiences that I've had in, in my life, those upending moments where, yeah, you feel like for so long the world's against you. Why is this always happening to me? Those That victim, like blaming yourself so much. And you mentioned like, you know, being told you're not worthy and – when you're hearing that so often, you you t- you believe it. You mm. take that on, like that identity. You you that was yours. Absolutely. Like that. When you realize that you aren't that, what? Where did you go from mm. there? You know, what sort of beliefs did you form? Yeah. And that obviously doesn't happen overnight. No. But what did that next journey look like for you? Yeah. So I knew then and there. Oh my gosh, I'm onto something here. The feeling that I felt that day in that church and the love and support and that unconditional support they did not ask me questions and then when I started to divulge what would happen to me they never recoiled in you know shock like a lot of people do there was no judgment there was nothing but love Mm. and I had just never known that before and they continually just said okay whatever you need we're here for you we can help you so I I completely committed to forming an opinion of myself and who I was based on who God said I was. Mm. Clean, blameless, innocent, righteous, you know, all those all those big super spiro words that people, you know, often get misunderstood or confused about, which is so fine depending mm. on what you believe. But mm. for me, it gave me a clean slate. Yeah. And it made me go, oh my gosh, this thing that happened was a thing. I didn't do this to me. Mm. I never asked for it. It was never my fault. And I just started to shift the whole way that I looked at my life. And again, it was a choice. It was like, okay, I can keep going down this road and beating myself up. Where has it gotten me? Or I can try to change the way that I think about myself. And all the training I do now with women is on our core beliefs. Mm. So I had to completely and utterly shift my core belief system, which was just so flawed and just so broken and wrong. It was yeah. just so wrong. Yeah. So they helped me do it. They were just so amazing with their time. They were like, ask us anything, we are always here. And I was asking the most ridiculous questions because I was like, if I'm going down this road, I want to know it's where the bloody dinosaurs book. came from, where does this fit yeah. in? They're like, I, I need to know this shit. And for three years I studied the Bible, I went to Bible college and I just wholeheartedly threw myself into it. My children in tow, I had a son two years later and for 17 years I served at that church and gave my life to that church and, and they in turn saved our lives. That's amazing and I faith is so important. It doesn't have to be, you know, Catholic, Christianity. It's 
having a belief, knowing that there's something greater than you that you can give, you know, your hands to, to be like, all right, mm. I, I, I'm not this, I'm not this pain, I'm not this trauma. And it's sort of like just being at peace with that and, and handing that over to whatever you believe. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's that's really powerful. What I'm seeing a lot of, and I love I love this conversation because it's illustrating really, um, obviously you went through so much trauma, but it's illustrating humanity so much. And what I'm seeing is like your blame was so internal and on yourself. As soon as you had your daughter, it switched to your daughter. So mm. your attention was on something else, um, which is so important. And, you know, I've done a little bit of research on, I listened to a few of your YouTube um, channel videos and you talk about wearing a mask mm. and, you know, the importance of that, that wearing that mask and what it meant to you. What stage did that mask, those layers start coming off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I started really letting people in, <laughs> I had such a wall up. So you trust issues. Tr major trust of course, issues. Yeah. I could not take anybody on face value because I'm a very naturally loving, soft person. Yeah. And it always did me wrong. It always did me badly. You know, not realising at the time it was who I was surrounding myself with, mm. of course. But I had to learn to let these people in. I had to learn to say, oh, you know, maybe they're not going to hurt hurt me. So I started with one person at a time. And that's when I started to see, you know what, I have just been spending all my time with the wrong people because that's all I, I thought everyone was like that. Mm. So when all of a sudden I'm introduced to this arena of people that are just so generous and loving. And at first I was like, man, what drugs are they on? Cause I want some. Yeah. It's better than anything <laughs> I have ever paid for. And it's um, free. It's free. <laughs> and, um, so I did. I started trusting one person at a time, one person at a time. And that's when I started saying, oh, my God, I am one thing to the outside world. I, I pretend to be this, yeah, I've got this all together. My life's wonderful. My relationship's great. I'm this happy person. And inside I was dying. And I thought, if I keep doing this shit, if I keep carrying on what I call now the imposter syndrome that we deal with all the time, yeah. I'm never going to get well. Yeah. This mm -hmm. is just a facade. So I had to be vulnerable, which was terrifying. But I did so in a safe space. Like I said, one person at a time, one thing at a time, one belief at a time. And I started to see the beauty in that and the fact that it worked. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, there's something in this. And we have to trust. We have to be willing to take that leap of faith, courage, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I took the biggest gamble and it paid off. Mm -hmm. And because I – and it was funny, Kobe, what you said before about all of a sudden I had this child to look at. That's when I started going, okay, now is she to blame if somebody hurt her? It enabled me to reframe mm. my trauma. Yeah. And that's when I started going, oh, my gosh. My I was just so distorted. Yep, yep. Mm. And um, so that mask started coming off and I was no longer scared to let people in because all of a sudden people were saying, you're fine the way you are. You're actually fucking amazing. Yeah. Mm. And I was yeah. like, well, what? And that's very hard for me. Even now, sometimes it's a little bit like, oh, but I know that's from my past and I have to complete, continually battle yeah. that because healing's not linear, right? It's yes. up and down. Yeah. But I'm aware of that now. <laughs> yeah. So I capture that, mm. take it, grab that and sort of go, hang on a minute. Is this fact or fiction, Renee? Yeah. And then yeah. deal with the mask. Yeah. What, we what we is talk this about trying this. To, yeah. What is this moment trying to teach yes. me rather than just letting yourself fall back into that same pattern? It's awareness like you say is everything and that 
you said it, healing is up and down and you're never really going to heal completely in my eyes. It's more because it's a human experience, right? Mm -hmm, That's what mm -hmm. we're here for. But it's when you have these experiences that are here to help you grow more and level up more as a person, have more self-love and passion, be more open-hearted. And it's like, okay, yeah, thanks, universe, for showing yeah, me that experience. Yep. What can I take from that? What can I learn from that and continue to heal more and become more open and, yeah. Exactly. I, I say that there's, you know, and, and, you know, if this is a whole podcast on its own, there's a gift in everything. And some people go, bullshit, you know, and it's not that moment that day. Mm. It's in hindsight you look back and go, oh, my gosh, but now look at how many doors that has opened yes. to me. Yeah. You know, I, I nearly died several times and I think, you know, if you'd asked me on that day, I would have said there's no blessing in this. Yes. But look where I am now. Yeah. yeah. Look where I was three weeks, three months after that ordeal. Yeah. yeah. So much further. Yeah. So there always is. It's just sometimes it takes a while to see it. We mm. don't always see, yeah, the message straight away or what that's trying to teach mm-hmm. us. Yep. Yeah. Being open to that is a big thing too. Like there's people, obviously, they'd be listening to this where they're going through that traumatic phase and they're shut off to so many things that's happening happening around them. Mm. And I think, you know, being open open to seeing the opportunities to be able to walk through that door, you know. We, well, I keep coming back to, we have so many of these conversations and, and like you said, there's so many other ways we can travel with this conversation that we're having. But if we just turn it to a practical sense for a second, when you were coming through that health journey, you know, 26 and beyond, you've just had your daughter, you've had your son, what was some of the practical daily things that you had to do to actually help with your healing process? Yeah. So journaling was really, really important. Yeah. Now, it wasn't, oh, my gosh, dear diary. It wasn't like that. Sometimes it was bullet points. Sometimes like I was scrawling abuse on, on pieces of paper. Yeah. It's whatever it is, but you've got to get what's ever in your head out. And sometimes mm. it won't make sense. That's fine. Just get it out. So writing and reading for me throughout my entire childhood, adolescence and so forth, really was another cathartic healing experience that helped me process and understand and identify patterns. Mm -hmm. And that's why journaling is such a powerful process. So I would journal, whether I was sad, angry, whatever was going on. It's not like I woke up every day and had a time. I wasn't that structured because life was chaos. Mm. And there were some days I couldn't even get out of bed, but I did for my kids and you get through it, but I just didn't practically have, you know, time to sit down and have this, you know, amazing journaling experience. It might just be, you know, five minutes in the car, in the car park, writing things down. So I journaled. I had to get stuff out of my head. Music was so important. What I found, I did not realise how much I absorbed what was going on around me. Mm. I was like a sponge. So if there was negativity around me by people's conversation, or behavior, I would absorb that and it would change my entire mood for the day. I'd either be on edge or I'd be angry or I'd be sad or I'd be flat. And I started being a real caretaker of who I allowed in my close space, especially around my children. Um, Music, it had to be a certain type of music that made my soul happy, that Mm. filled my heart. Um, there was years. I'm I'm a mad metal, uh, heavy metal fan. Just prefacing, yeah, yeah. prefacing, <laughs> prefacing my Metallica addiction. Yes, but there was years I couldn't listen to Metallica because what it had represented up until that time was anger, rage, and hatred. I yeah. used it as an outlet. Mm-hmm. Until I went through my healing, 
Now I love it because my brain's rewired and I see and I hear things differently. So I had to be careful what I surrounded myself with. And then um, it was very, very important to me. So I'd stopped all alcohol, all drugs, even though my fiancé at the time was still heavily into all of that. Um, I couldn't be around that because I just knew it was... It was instantly, as soon as I had my kids, the, the whole temptation just disappeared anyway. Stop smoking cigarettes. I, I wanted to be at my best, to give my best mm. to them, to the kids. I really wanted to be a good role model. And I knew any time I strayed from that really opened up the door to old thinking because it was all linked yeah. to previous people, previous behaviours, previous things I did. So I had to cut that stuff out. And I had to, again, clear the decks and start from scratch and really start thinking what I wanted to fill my body with. And that meant conversation, it meant food, it meant drugs, alcohol, um, you know, music, what I watched on TV even. Yeah, huge. Definitely. I just really became a caretaker of what I filled my body with. Yeah. That that soul nourishment. Yep. Yeah, like mind, body and soul nourishing is super important for for anyone, whether on a healing journey or not. And... You know, you, you're not just looking at what that does for you on the external, but, yeah, just how that really ignites you, yeah, which is really cool. I can totally relate with all of that stuff that you said, which is really cool. I'm a huge journaler. I love that. It's super powerful. So you touched on in a couple of videos that I listened to, you worked with in social welfare mm-hmm. for quite some time. Yeah. Where was that part of your life? Yeah, so that was just after the birth of my son because I can remember talking to the pastors at church going, I just don't just want to do a job anymore. I want to do something where I'm making a difference or helping people. I had no idea what that meant. And there was a rehab centre that that some of the pastors knew of that worked with girls that were going through hard times in their life and I could volunteer. So I was still breastfeeding Jacob. I'd go to work for three hours of a night just volunteering, rush home to feed him, rush back to the centre and 40-minute drive each way. And they're going, what are, you, what are you doing back? You were just here. And I'm like, no, no, I, I can hang longer. I, I all of a sudden was just so, oh, my gosh, this is my thing. Yeah. And within three months they offered me a staffing position and just said, look, the feedback from the girls. So it was a residential facility. The girls would live there for up to two years at a time. Yeah. Apparently the feedback was just like, oh, my gosh, she's amazing. We need her here. So they were like, do you want to come on as staff? So I wanted that job so badly. I asked my mum to move 10 hours mm. to move in with me just for six months while I bre- breastfed Jacob, yeah, wow. you know, so I could get that and she could give him the bottle while, while Drew was at work, my ex-husband, and we made it work. And that's when I started seeing the power of storytelling. That's when mm-hmm. I started just sharing little bits of my story with these girls on a Sunday sitting under a tree and the girls would lean in and their eyes would open up and they were like, oh, my gosh, you, you, you've been through this too? And I'm like, yeah. Mm. And that's when I started going, oh, there's – I mean, how was I introduced to hope, people sharing their story? Now I had the opportunity. Now these girls are going, oh, my gosh. And I am still in contact with some of those girls. Probably half of the girls that went through that three years are still now what I consider part of my family. That's amazing. And people can sometimes get into that mentality. Like I think Kobe and I and yourself would see just consulting with people often. It's almost like, well, how can you relate? You haven't... You haven't travelled my road, so how do you know? How can you understand what I've been through? But it's not necessarily that we've shared the same story or the same experience, but pain and trauma is the universal. same. It's universal. You know? yep. So just knowing that someone else has experienced such deep pain um, 
and there that you can provide like a space for them to feel like they mm. can they can share their story. Yeah, and it doesn't happen overnight, does it? Like it oh might, gosh, no, no. Yeah. And and I was very and I've always been and I think that, that that's why certain people come to coach with me. I'm very open, very honest. I don't use big buzzwords. I'm very honest about the stuff I don't know, which is a whole heap. <laughs> and, but I'm hungry to learn and I'm mm. hungry to improve. So I'm very open to feedback. So I would, you know, I'm working, here I am, Christian rehab, brand new Christian myself, baby Christian. Some of the girls in the program knew their Bible back to front. I didn't. So I'd be talking, I'd be like, da 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 shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. <laughs> and the girls would just be laughing. That's and so I'm good. like, oh, girls, I'm so sorry. And they're like, don't change yeah so yeah. i'd have to at the end of every Be shift real. go to the coordinator and go so okay she goes what have you done this shift renee and i'm like <laughs> oh, and i'd give her a big list of stuff and she'd be like no just be real you've just yeah. got to be real it's about not having the answers it's just about showing people that you're human too exactly that's all it is because we put people on pedestals yeah so i have I just took myself off from the get-go. Mm. Um, they saw that and it became – I've been in community services. I worked for 18 years serving in homelessness, drug and alcohol addiction, with eating disorders and psychiatric hospitals and then went and got my degree as well. You've seen a lot. A lot, yeah. So during that, with everything that you've done, what do you feel is the biggest coping mechanisms that people uh, show during this trauma? Avoidance is probably the biggest one because we wrap it up in other things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so workaholism. People think, oh, no, I, I'm, I just really like working hard. Yeah, but you're also not going home because yeah. that means all of a sudden you've got to be real. You've so got to face those this truths. This is a big one for men. So many of the men I speak to, that's where they get their pats on the back. That's where they f- get their accolades and they feel like they've achieved a lot. When they go home and the wife's with the children – they all of a sudden feel that little bit emasculated. Not that the wife or children are doing that, but it's not their natural. Yeah. You know, they're the provider. They, they're they the fixers. They're mm. the supporters and come alongside. So yeah. it's not their natural habitat um, for many. Yeah. So they sort of withdraw that little bit. So they start spending more time at work because it feeds their ego. We all have an ego. Um, it's where they feel most natural. Yeah. So that can be a real avoidance of a lot of the men that I've worked with that have been abused, have sexual addictions or porno, uh, pornography addictions. So there's yeah. a lot of shame there. So even though they may not, their addictions may not be active in that moment, it's always in the back of your mind. Yeah. Mm. So that home environment brings temptation. There's TVs, there's a way to access it. Work doesn't. Mm. So avoidance can be a big one. It's just wrapped up in other type of behaviours. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So people go, no, I, I exercise. I'm doing really well. Uh, yeah, but it's become this obsession. And now all of a sudden you have to hit a certain weight or a goal or a physique or a look because it's the only time you feel good about yourself because you're avoiding the other shit deep down inside of why you don't feel good when you're yeah. not in the gym. So avoidance is the most common thing I come up with men and women. They just yeah. don't know it. Yeah. Yes. They'll be telling me about their day and I just don't know why I'm really achieved over here but really not here. And I'm like, well, tell me what that looks like. Yeah. And it's completely obsessive. It's yeah. so far one way. Yeah. And yeah. as soon as you start sort of just asking those key questions, even you, you see their face go, oh, shit, uh-oh. She's onto me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, get out of my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Almost like they're feeling the void, you know, that numbness yeah. that they might be feeling. They're mm-hmm. feeling it with other things, you know, whether it's that addiction to whatever, yep. work, work, what's the word? Work, 
workaholism. Workaholic? Yeah, workaholism. Is that the word? I know, it is, but it sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's your word, so let's roll with it. Yeah. It's procrastination. Yeah. It's avoid- People don't understand that procrastination is a form of avoidance based on fear. Mm. But what is it you're fearing? So a lot of the people I work with, it's fear of failure. That's such a big question, eh? Mm. That's right. Oh, you yeah. know, this is what I mean. This is like but some people don't even podcasts. like really understand or know what they're fearful of. They mm-hmm. just know that going deeper or to the depths yeah. doesn't feel good. It's yeah. fucking scary. So then they just, yeah, like you say, they avoid it. Yeah. But they don't know what they're avoiding. And that's what I love about coaching because it's like, oh, I love drilling. And because yeah. all of a sudden they'll Peeling say something and they've just heard what they've said. And they're mm. like, oh. And I'm like, so, mm. what do you think it is? And they're like, oh, I don't want to say it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. just like yeah. ding, ding. You can, you can strip back 10 years of therapy mm. in one coaching session. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Hey, it's like I love that you see that because – a lot of times we try and f- self-help a lot and sometimes it gets to the stage where it's like, no, I need a professional to help me get I through this. I have a coach. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I think that's so that's so important for people to know is like you, although you feel alone, you don't have to do this alone and mm. it's getting the right people around you. So for you it's like you walked into that church and it was like, I'm just going to test the waters with one person. If I can trust that one person, then I'm going to the next person. Yeah. And that's a key a key um, thing for people to take away from this. But. And some people did let me down. Don't get don't get me wrong. It wasn't like I trusted one person. They were amazing and continue, yeah. and everyone was amazing. Some people did let me down. Yeah. But it was the person. You know, some we're so quick to judge and blame. And it's like, okay, well, that person wasn't probably the best person. Next person might be the perfect person. Yeah. yeah. You've got to yeah. keep trusting. It's not just this one-off thing. It's That's an everyday it. decision. But knowing that the people that have let you down are – probably dealing with their own shit exactly. as well so it's like just yeah. a, a reflection of what they're they're going through um you talk about like seeking help and support and that and that is super important but also seeing that there's there's not one way of doing that you mm-hmm. know like not there's not just like gospel that this is how you get support like through psychology or exactly. you know like there's a whole array of modalities out there from spiritual healing mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. um yeah psychology doctors whatever it may be um, but you're having an open mind to, to dabble or go down that path to find what works for you. Mm-hmm. Did you, where are you at now? Like with your, you, you mentioned you have a coach. What does that look like for you? Mm. So at different stages of my life, I'll have a different coach for different things. So at the moment I have a coach for business and I also have many, many mentors. So I, one of the things that I was very careful to do, and this is something that I encourage every single person on the planet that's breathing to do, is surround yourself with people that are further along in the journey than you are, people that you can look towards for mm-hmm. guidance and support um, who are very honest with you and whose values align yeah. with yours. Yeah. I have probably got, and I kid you not, I would probably have over 500 mentors that I engage with regularly yeah. on wow. LinkedIn. And I've built, I've cultivated that over four years. Yeah. And they are my, you know, I've got people that ring me in Italy if I'm having a bad day. You know, they're like, I'll call you. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. So surround yourself with mentors. So I have done that. I've got a business coach. I've got a personal coach. And then I have a partner who I tell absolutely everything to. He's my accountability and my rock. And it's taken me 39 years to find him. But we got there in the end. (laughs) You got there. We got there in the end. Yay. Um, And so I'm very careful who I put my trust in. And I'm constantly looking for ways to challenge myself, push myself. Because I find that as soon as I get comfortable, 
the motivation fades, everything drops out of the bottom and I get lazy. Mm. And that's when I start seeing old behaviours or old thought patterns creep in. And that's when I go, oh, what are you doing at the moment that's allowing this crap to come in? Mm. And it's because I've dropped my guard somewhere else. So I train every day. I look after myself, you know, with what I eat, how I spend my time. My, My kids come first before business, before anything else. Being a solo mum, they are number one. That's and awesome. I've never changed that. Yeah. They know that. That's something very important to me. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I just make sure that I have people that are not afraid to kick my ass. Yeah. Speaking into my life all the time. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of kicking your ass. <laughs> Whoa, I don't know where you're going with that. <laughs> what, what's one, like you say, if your children grew up and they fell into a negative trap, what would be one thing that you would do to help boot them up to get them out of that instantly. So what have I been doing for the last 19 years with my daughter and 16 years with my son? Yeah. Um, Again, it was really important to me and obviously writing my autobiography in 2019 was I had to do this, was I'm an open book. My kids know they can ask me anything, sex, drugs, doesn't matter, nothing's off the table. But I've always told them they have to own their shit. They have to own their actions. Think before you follow through. But if you do follow through, because, hey, kids do, right? I know I did. And then you think about it later and you think, oh, shit, that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. But fess up and own it. And then learn from that. Don't do that. I, I'm not into the book's called Battle Scars Are Beautiful from victim to victory. Yeah. I hate the word victim. Mm. We have all been a victim of something, but that's in the moment. Yeah. Then you get a choice to move out of that, yeah. right? So I always say to them, don't wallow. Don't sit there and boo-hoo. You know, there is so much shit going on in the world worse than what we will ever face. Mm. This is not a time to wallow. Look at it. Appreciate it. Feel it. Acknowledge it. Don't ignore it because that's the other thing problem that we run into is when we run away from stuff avoidance again and then just own your shit and then see where we can go from here and they've grown up to be the most amazing conscientious hard-working kids it's mm-hmm. always a work in progress I know what I'm like with myself sometimes yeah. I wallow as well but it's like well hang on is this serving me right now and this is what I'll always say to them is what you're doing or thinking right now how is that serving you because there's always a payoff for our behaviour. Yeah. yeah. So is it, oh, it's allowing me to feel, you know, justified that, you know, I'm angry at this person right now. Yeah, but how's that serving you? You feel like shit that person's carried on with their life. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, oh. That's such a good question to, to really take away from. Like, I'm sure you even found that yourself asking that question in relation to your relationship with your mum. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Like, how, yeah. is, is that looking, obviously that, processes was there a stage where that process flicked over yeah totally so i cut my mum out of my life for five years I, I just couldn't do it and she constantly tried to get away back in but i just wasn't ready and then it got to the stage where i'd been oh, look i've done therapy my whole life and i probably found three that were helpful and this one particular lady at this point where i was really struggling with do i want her in my life don't i want her in my life what am i going to do and she's just like you got two choices Cut her out, deal with the consequences or bring her back in and spend the next X amount of years, however long it takes, working through forgiveness. Choice is yours. I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) Two choices. Which one? And that's when I went, I do. I I want a relationship with her. And she's probably still one of my biggest triggers today. And she knows that. Um, So I have to work on that all the time. But that's where Grace came in. And I thought, you know what? She was going through so much stuff back then as well. She didn't know what was happening. I kept it very well hidden. Mm. Um, So she was doing the best she could at that time. And, you know, that was my choice to frame it that way. 
And it was my choice to work out how to forgive her. And it's a choice I make every single day. It's not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an action. It's a commitment. So true. Yeah. I love that. It's forgiveness is everything. I wake up every day and forgive, you know, circumstances in my past because we can't, like, it, it doesn't feel good, right? Like, what's the point in holding, a, um, being in a place of resentment or holding on to something? Mm. Um, it just allows you to move forward. And, yeah. you know, you don't, you, you in this instance have allowed your mum back into your life. Um, I have boundaries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> boundaries are really important. And Definitely. And when you're talking about unforgiveness, you're stuck in the past. Mm. You're an- literally anchoring yourself to the past. Yeah. And it's like, what is what is done is done. You exactly. cannot freaking change it. But you yeah. can change. Now, it's still, I, I don't preach or teach on forgiveness unless someone actually says to me, can you work through this with me? It's something I want to do because mm. it is so uniquely intimate to each individual. Yeah. And I would never, ever say to someone, you must forgive to move on. No, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to say that. But I will talk to them about what how it has blessed me mm. to do that in my own life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Boundaries are super important. Oh, yeah, critical. Mm. So, Renee, I would love to have you on for a second episode because, I, I, you know, these conversations, I can just think they're just going to help so many people. And I know even standing here now, it's helping me think about how I um, how I go into every situation because um, I am one of those people that back out when I feel the pressure, like mm. I back out a little bit and I think I can maybe change the way I do that a little bit. But we've got your amazing book in front of us here, Battle Scars Are Beautiful. Um, You've brought this in, and I think one of our listeners out here would really like to get their hands on this. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, yeah. So in 2019, my publisher, Ocean Reeve, heard of my story through mutual friends, and he rang me up and he just said, look, there's so many abuse stories out there. Why is yours going to be different? How are you going to market it? Why should I take you on? And I said, well, nobody's got my story. And I don't want it to be this boo-hoo story. I want to give context, sure. But I want a 13-year-old girl who's going through this to understand it and receive it and to help her or an 87-year-old woman who's never disclosed. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, well, that's different right from the get-go. And I wanted to use it as a platform to give back. I didn't want to be JK Rowling that made a million dollars. I wanted it to for people to see they weren't alone. It's like, yeah. hang on, shit can be really terrible, but yeah. gosh, life can be so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it took me 30 days, believe it or not, to write it. 30 I days? said, give me a year. He goes, yep, okay, because I was working full time, raising two kids, and um, it was this brain dump in 30 days. We had the manuscript in. Now the editing, of course, putting it all together and making it as good as it is now. Um, took some time, but it was an amazing process. Yeah. And um, yeah, we had that launch in, in 2019 and it was just, it's just received a five-star reader's favourite award from an international book contest. So That's huge. That Congratulations. That's so good. So it's very exciting. Yeah. You should be really, really well. proud. Yeah. yeah. So if you're a listener out there and you want to get your hands on this book, um, uh, you can contact us at Impact Strength and Fitness. But Renee, how can our listeners get direct contact with you what's the best way for them to touch base uh my website reneemichelle.com and it's one e in renee one l in michelle just to be difficult you can thank my father for that one we'll tag you in the podcast um and social media is i'm on instagram under the renee michelle and facebook under my name yeah brilliant awesome well thanks so much for being part of the impact podcast we're so blessed to have you here and i know the listeners are going to get so much out of this uh and 
look forward to the next one. Yeah. Can't wait. Thank you. (laughs) See ya. Bye. So that's it. Thanks for listening. And if you have loved tuning in to us here at the Impact Podcast, just subscribe, rate and review. Yeah. And if you think that this podcast could impact someone you know, then make sure you share it. Catch ya. Bye. Damn phones, Babylon can't crack the code. Used to sip out, stop, rip home, but figured I 